<laughs> Praise the Lord. All right. Well, it's an honor to be with you. Clifford, you snuck in. I didn't see you for church. Well, I'm going to take just a minute to do a little how do you do. Is that all right? See, Pastor Mark was worried about the time change and spring break, you know, affecting the college students. So I brought my own crowd. So <laughs> to help kind of. And I've been a pastor. I told him yesterday, you know, we did a we did an event here yesterday for our uh, uh, Raymond ministers and alumni. We had folk here from Warner Robins to Cairo. Um, we had a good time. I'll try not to talk as long this morning as I did yesterday. See, he had a big time slot, and I felt the need to fill it. And so, <laughs> and he offered breakfast and lunch. Now, he hadn't offered y'all breakfast and lunch, did he? So, okay. So I'll try not to. But, but anyway, I told him yesterday, you know, I know how it is having guest speakers. I pastored for a number of years. I'd rather do a funeral than, than host a guest speaker. <laughs> Just the pressure. Yeah, so, so you know, take the pressure off because I really don't care. It's all, all's good. It's good. Yeah. So uh, I want to introduce some people. First off, I'm from Willacoochee, not Tulsa. Yeah, I'm from downtown Coochie Town. Come on. <laughs> We're not famous for much. We did used to make Coochie Craft boats. I don't know if we still do that or not. Do we still? No, no. Make them yachets, you know. Not, uh, <laughs> you know. Anyway, sorry. Uh, you know, these big-name preachers, they bring their bodyguards. Well, I brought mine. I want my brothers to stand up. There's Matthew. This is my baby brother. This is my middle brother. Yeah. Jason and Matthew. Yeah. Yeah, I quit picking on them a long time ago. <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. And this this is my niece and nephew, JC and and, and, and and Dalton. Stand up. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. My sister in law, Jennifer. Yeah, stand up. Yeah. Yeah, my mom and daddy. Stand up. Jerry and Lynn. Yeah. Mama prayed me out of hell and daddy beat me into submission, so <laughs> And of course, y'all, if you're here yesterday, you met my lovely wife. Stand up, Kim. Give them the prom queen wave. Yeah, yeah. She's, she's I call her the executive princess. She, she's, uh, she works up in the executive office at Rhema there with Pastor Mr. Nett. So she's my golden key to the exec office. So, yeah, yeah. And then there's some folks snuck in on me here uh, that I want to recognize. I want to see where to start here. This is uh, Lon and Lana Gillis. Stand up and wave. Wave at everybody. Yeah. I was actually thinking about y'all this morning. I don't really don't even know why. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He got he got the memo how to dress though. See his cuffs turned out there. Yeah, I don't, I don't know about the rest of you people, but anyway. It's yes, the preacher shirt. Oh. <laughs> Lawn. Uh, uh, I don't know if, if I, I really don't know. I don't know what your problem was. <laughs> Evidently, they saw something that I didn't see uh, because uh, they, they uh, uh, kept pushing me when we were together in the Assembly of God Church over here in Pearson and uh, had a young adult Sunday school class back in those days. I mean, we, it was a huge class. And you think, I think back on those days sometime, and I still am wowed by what God was doing. And and uh, Lom had to be out of town and wanted me to sub. And I thought, what? <laughs> you know, I don't do that. That's not, I, I, You know, I do sound. I'm back there with Jimmy. <laughs> you know, I don't do that. Yeah, I think you can do it. And so I did, and Lana sat right beside me. I guess in case I fainted and fell off the chair. <laughs> she was there just in case. And it wasn't long. They moved left us, and Kim and I took the class, and then the rest is history, you know, and so uh, I don't know if we had been doing jail ministry before then or not, I think, and that brings me to Brother Clifford, Clifford Pope, Clifford, Miss Shirley, stand up, you see, if you ever see trucks, semi-trucks running up and down the road, says Pope trucking, that's the man right there. Yeah, huh? <laughs> we we did jail ministry down there in Pearson in the county jail. Uh, what about three years straight? 
during the Sunday school hour every Sunday morning, we'd go down there and have a captive audience. And uh, <laughs> never did get no offerings down there, but we <laughs> we had a captive audience. And uh, uh, just uh, really, you know what it means for y'all to be here today. Uh, been a dear friend for a long time and snuck out to Tulsa for my graduation. When I graduated, Raymond surprised me. Just boom, there he was. So, and this is one of the grand boys. Now, is this Audrey? Is this yours? Uh, stand up, Audrey and Tommy. Audrey and Tommy Ponzel, give them a hand. And then, which one, which one is this? Michael. Michael. There was wee little Michael last time I saw him. <laughs> yeah, I've been gone a long time. Audrey was the first. I've known Audrey like since BC. Audrey's the first youth pastor I ever had. You know, because that used to didn't be a thing. You know. And 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 Audrey's the first person I ever knew that went to Rama. And so, needless to say, the fact that all them showed up, I'm honored, but I'm also about to wet my pants. I'm so nervous. <laughs> so, thank y'all. You know, I should have worn my Depends this morning. So. <laughs> anyway, so hallelujah. So, we're honored to be with you this morning, and. Uh, Honored to, uh, over the last little while, getting to know you pastors, uh, Pastor Mark and Miss Ashley, uh, sweet, precious uh, young couple, and uh, we've uh, made, what has it been, about a year, we've made you a district director? About a year. And this was yesterday was your first event. Yeah. And so it was a privilege for me to get to come down here close to home, see family and see your folk and, and get to... Um, uh, be a blessing to our Rama family yesterday and to be able to impart something to you today and and help you connect with us real fast. Uh, um, uh, we went we left the farm over there and went to Rama in 97, 97 and uh, graduated in 99 um, and have been in full-time ministry ever since. actually preached my first sermon behind a pulpit other than Sunday school class in the jail in 94 when Kim's daddy had his first heart attack. And it was kind of like Lon's Sunday school substitute. It was, you know, um, you need to preach tonight. I couldn't talk Audrey into it. And so, <laughs> you remember that conversation? We kind of kissed it back into us and, no, you're going to have to do it. So I did it. <laughs> you know, and there again, the rest is history. I got up there and preached one of Brother Hagin's many books. And <laughs> I think that's what we all do. We don't know what else to do, so... You know, so, but uh, since we've, we've been out in ministry for now for a number of years since then, pastored and did about everything else, um, and um, soon be three years ago, we transitioned full circle all the way back to Tulsa, and um, there uh, I serve on staff with our alumni department and help over in the ministerial association working under Doug Jones, uh, so Doug and Joe Dunnick and myself oversee uh, about 27,000 alumni and about 2,500 uh, uh, credentialed ministers. And um, and then um, we all teach in the school. I teach a New Testament survey. Uh, it's a flyover of the New Testament. It's hard and fast for eight weeks, buddy, I'm here to tell you. Uh, and, uh, and then uh, I teach, uh, that's a first-year class. And then I teach um, Introduction to Pastoral Care. Uh, that's a second-year class. I'm finishing that up right now. There, our students are on spring break this week. It just Friday was the end of the of the, the week, and then they're on spring break this week, and then they get back and have um, four days of class and then a final exam. So I told them to try not to lose their mind while they're on spring break because the test comes. <laughs> and so uh, I really enjoy that class. I get to talk about a lot of practical stuff, and then. Uh, in our uh, third year, uh, Raymond School of Pastoral Ministry, I teach a class on uh, sermon development and delivery. Really enjoy that also. And then in our uh, Raymond School of Biblical Studies, I teach First uh, Second Kings, First Second Chronicles, Jeremiah, and everybody's favorite book of the Bible, Lamentations. And so, <laughs> try not to get on any of those today. <laughs> Amen. Well, that's enough introductions. Let's pray and get after it. Father, we thank you for your goodness today. We thank you for your mercy. Father, I thank you for this uh, precious group of people. Father, I thank you for um, 
uh, Pastor Mark and Ashley, Father, and the labor they do for the Lord here in Valdosta. I just pray blessings on them in this house. Father, and I just uh, thank you for uh, our time together today. And Lord, I ask you for that utterance that we need, Father, bold and clear. And I thank you that people have ears to hear. Everybody said, Amen. Amen. Give that worship team a hand. Wasn't that awesome? Oh, man. Whew. I was I was about to get lost. Man, that was good. Good, good, good. Open your Bibles to the book of Ephesians, if you will. And um, Jimmy, you the you the yeah, you just do everything, don't you? Well, I'm sorry. I was supposed to send you some verses and I forgot. So turn to Ephesians. <laughs> Amen. I'll join you there shortly. What I want to do today, um, today and tonight, either one of these will stand on their own merit, but, but what I, I want to do this morning sets us up for where, where I want to go tonight. And I'll begin by saying this. How many of you would agree with me that God never intended for us to live with a really good list of principles Void of experience. I mean, to have a good list of rules to keep. I don't know about you, but I've always struggled to keep the rules anyway. Come on. I mean, the first time Kim ever laid eyes on me, you know, halfway through the senior year of high school at Atco Hyde over in Pearson, you know, she, her daddy's a new preacher in town, you know, and he, she's getting, you know, registered for school. Me and my cousin is spread eagle in the hall getting a whipping. Senior in high school. And she said, now that's the man I want to marry right there. <laughs> I, was, I was still working out my salvation. No. I mean, no, we need to be students of this book. Students of this word. But, it, but, it, but if my exploration of, of the principles and the doctrine and, uh, and the laws and... Uh, and the things in this book don't lead me to an experience with the author. It's an exercise in futility. This is a living book. And it's to introduce me to a person. Amen? And so, uh, what I find out though, as I begin to get into this, this, this exploration that I go on when I begin to get into this book, the activation of the principles that I find in here when I begin to apply them to my life involves tension. How many of us, to be honest, and say we really like tension? I mean, we take pills to relieve tension. You know, some of us do stuff we shouldn't do to relieve tension. Hmm? We go to the chiropractor to relieve tension, right? Because we don't like tension. But I tell my students all the time, especially right now in pastoral care when I'm talking about the full spectrum of loving and caring for people, I tell them this, if, 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 if you haven't experienced tension with truth, you haven't really seen truth yet. If, okay, you know, if, if you haven't had to wrestle with some stuff in here. You haven't seen truth yet. You've just been kind of playing around. Having a little devotion. A little quiet time. Kumbaya. If we get into this thing, there's tension. I'm going somewhere. Right now, I'm, I'm, I'm calibrating your, hard, your software. Okay? So stay with me. Think about it in the natural. With me for a moment. You know, our bodies. You know, you got a skeletal structure. But even still, if, if it weren't for the, the muscles and the sinews and the ligaments that are stretched over that thing in tension, nothing would work. And in a sense, you'd just be a pile of flesh and fluids in the floor. No function. Right? Everybody say tension. tension. 
Uh, think about uh, gravity. You know, um, I mean, without it, I mean, how many of you seen that movie? You know, they play it over and over. It seems like nowadays, Bruce Willis and them guys, you know, Asteroid, or no, what is it? Armageddon. Yeah. See, you know. See, I talk to these Bible school students sometimes, and they act like they don't watch TV. <laughs> yeah, they're too holy. No, remember that Remember that black guy? And they, they asked him, you know, about what happened if he, with his boot. He said, you'll float away. <laughs> remember that? <laughs> I'll float away. <laughs> no, without gravity, what happened? You'll float away. I mean, you're thankful for gravity. But I mean, no, it involves a little tension. Well, there's another law that's always at work uh, when you fly, and it's called lift. You know, you get an airplane moving fast enough down the runway and get the right amount of air going over that airfoil, and you come in contact with another law, and it's called lift, and it breaks you free, uh, in a sense, from the law of gravity, and you fly. But think with me for a minute. If the law of gravity wasn't still working, you'd still float away. There's tension involved even in flight. Or you'd be on Mars instead of a flight from Tulsa to Atlanta. Right? So tension's necessary. Think of a tightrope. You know, these guys that walk these ropes, I mean, no, they're not walking a slack line. I mean, I guess people do that, but, you know, they're special people. No, a tightrope, I mean, it's need to be it's tight for a reason. Right? Uh, you know, this will get us closer a little bit even closer to our subject. Uh think about think about a tree. You know, a tree is is uh is rooted. And those roots give that tree stability and and nourishment. But then within the trunk of that tree is is growth. And within the trunk of that tree is is strength and 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 the ability to for fruitfulness. But how many know that, that trunk of that tree needs to be flexible too? Or when the storm comes. Hmm? And so there's a tension aspect there. And then because that tree has to stand, has to be durable. And so there's tension. So what I want to talk to you about this morning, and here again, you know, as a teacher, we're always either forming beliefs, things that we didn't know, or we're strengthening beliefs, things that we do know, we just need to water them. And I want to talk to you from Ephesians. Uh, I love the book of Ephesians. Uh, Paul in Ephesians um, talks about uh, the glorious church. And not even so much the church as a group of people, the church is person, individual, and the church is people. And then, you know, Colossians, he, he, he does, Ephesians and Colossians are twin epistles, uh, in a sense. Same, a lot of, lot of almost things repeated uh, from one to the other, but the emphasis is different. In Ephesians, Paul presents us with, with the church of Christ, and Colossians, he presents us with the Christ of the church, talking about the same thing, just climbing the mountain on a different side. And, and so, in Ephesians, to me, he presents us with the clearest overall picture of the Christian walk, the Christian life, the Christian experience. Not just rules and doctrine and principles, but the totality of that experience. And I want to present this to you, you know, as three truths, three... Um, postures, three different dynamics, three perspectives. Tonight I want to talk about it as, as three seasons. But it's very simple. It's sit, walk, stand. Everybody say sit, walk, stand. Look at Ephesians chapter 1. Catch, catch it here. Verse 3, Ephesians 1, 3, 
<clears throat> Paul begins here, Ephesians 1, 3. I'm reading King James Version, Jimmy. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Now, now pause for a moment. Is, is half, is that past tense, present tense, or future tense? Okay, so, so Paul's telling me this is something that God has already done in Christ for you and I, right? Who hath already, past tense, blessed us. Blessed us with what? All spiritual blessings. I don't know about you, but, you know, I don't have to get out of concordance to figure out what all means. All means all, right? All spiritual blessings uh, uh, in heavenly places in Christ. Everybody say, in Christ. Now, now skip on over to verse 20. Right in the midst of this prayer that Paul prays here, under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, and is recorded under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost for our benefit, talks about the power that God wrought in Christ. He gets to verse 20, and he says, Which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set. The must say set. And set him at his own right hand, in the heavenly places. Notice, where were those blessings, those spiritual blessings that we were, we were bestowed with? Where did they come from? Where, where did he set Christ? At his own right hand, in the heavenly places. Notice, set. Now, now we're going to come back and look at some of the rest of this. But Paul has a continual stream of thought running here. And it is to me as though, aside from what's in between, when you get all the way over, how I many know Paul didn't write the letter in chapter and verse? Divided up that way so you and I can find, find our way through it. And it to me, and I could be wrong, uh, but to me it, it, it is as though Paul picks up this thought, he leaves off this thought in chapter 20, and it is as though he picks it right back up in the sixth verse of the second chapter after saying some stuff in between. Picks up same thought. So look at it. Sixth verse, second chapter. Notice how it ends in, in verse 20. Which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead, set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. Verse 6, and. And. I tell my students all the time, pay attention to the if, ands, and buts of the Bible. And hath raised us up together and made us sit. Everybody say sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Notice, heavenly places, same place and blessings came from, same place Jesus is seated, we're seated. And you could say it this way, you know, Brother Hagin taught us years, many years ago, uh, you know, that the, the right hand of the Father is, is, is the center of authority for the entire universe. And Paul says that when we come to faith in Jesus, now you see, this, this doesn't apply to folks that are outside of Christ. This is not for the world. It's in Christ. And you don't have to be in Christ, you know, 20 years before you activate this. What was that song we were saying about coming to the altar and coming to the Father? His arms are open wide. When we come to faith in Jesus and we, we're, we're placed in Christ. And we're made. Made. See, I generally don't like to be made to do nothing. Huh? But I find something about this I like. 
I'm made to sit with Him. Where? In heavenly places. You know, since we come back to Ramah, for years, you know, pastoring church and volunteering like Pastor Mark, you know, he don't get a paycheck to be a district director for Ramah. <laughs> he gets a... He gets the right. He gets a little blue dot on his badge when he comes back from Winter Bible. <laughs> he gets to sit in a special section. <laughs> Thank you for your support. <laughs> you know, uh, but we don't make him sit there. You know, he can sit anywhere he wants. But you know, for years coming back, myself, you know, Kim and I, you know, we sometimes we'd drift in on a Wednesday night or something, and uh, I'd always sit up there. Right behind Pastor Hagin, you know, and fellowship and cut up, you know. He always liked that. Well, you know, we come on staff now. Well, I quit doing that. I didn't figure that was appropriate. I started sitting further back. Well, all of a sudden, one night, we get asked out for supper. Why? Why are you not sitting there no more? <laughs> well, I didn't think that was appropriate. Yeah, yeah, I want you and her to sit there. And so I come to find out we've been made to sit <laughs> in that seat. No, I didn't choose to. We was made to. But there's something about this made to sit that gives me boldness. See, if I've been made to sit there, like when Pastor Mark comes out with his little blue dot on his badge, no usher can't make him move out of that section. No, I've been made to sit here. Come on. See, people sneak in there. No, I'm sorry. We've got to see for you back here. Hmm? No. No, we've been made to sit there with Christ. And see, here's something we do in our mind without even thinking about it, and sometimes we just process it wrong. We, we have in our mind some way or another that Christ has a seat and then we have a seat. We're in the same seat. I mean, if you can just get that image, I'll just rally your whole world. I mean, we just up in his lap, I reckon. I don't know just how it works, but it's the same seat. It's not like Christ's chair and a bunch of little children's church chairs and there we all are. Hmm? The Bible either means what it says or it don't. Everybody say perspective. That's what I'm talking about. The seating. Notice we're talking about a seat. A sitting position. A perspective. A seat of authority. Notice uh, with me. Back up to uh, verse 20. And let's just read it together going down through verse 23 which he wrote in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. And, wh- and where is that? It's far above. All principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. I mean, every devil, every demon, every evil spirit, every, everything that has the name from cancer to... Toe fungus. And has put all things, all things, under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Put all things under his feet. Well, here again, this is simple, this is basic. But we need to be reminded, where are the feet? They're in the body. Who's the head? Jesus. Who's the body? So if they're under Jesus' feet, whose feet are they under? Our feet. Everybody say perspective. So if I'm seated with Christ and everything's under His feet, it's under my feet. Now then, as I talk about this from the issue of perspective, 
want you to think of it in these terms. If you're a note taker, you can write this down. Sitting, we see. Sitting, we see. Well, what do we see? We see our inheritance. And this seated position, in this seated uh, 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 perspective of the Christian life, this aspect of living this thing out, it's all about seeing our inheritance. And this is all about gaining the stability that's necessary for our Christian life. That rootedness. Look at chapter 3, verse 17. He brings this in, Paul does in his second prayer. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye be rooted and grounded in love. And so, it's all about getting rooted and grounded in love and in who we are in Christ, in gaining this perspective and this part of our Christian life. It's all about confidence. It's all about rest. It's all about what Christ has done. Amen? And what we need to understand is that we're called to live from heaven towards earth in our perspective. And this new position that we've been placed into in Christ comes with a new perspective. I want to read you something. I was going to read something else, but I'll just... I was talking to Daddy about this and Mama yesterday before yesterday, I guess. If you go on and read on through Ephesians there, and especially if you read it in some other translations, that in Christ will just keep jumping off the page at you. For sake of time, I won't do that this morning because we need to move on. But how many know, you know, and it goes back to some things we were talking about with our alumni yesterday, you know, if we're not careful, every generation, you know, because we don't listen to, we get disconnected from our fathers, you know, and then we start, we, we think we try to redig wells, and, and we think we're the first ones to figure something out, you know. And we're all of a sudden, we're the smartest ever, no. I stumbled on this a few, several years ago, a book, and the title of it is In Christ Jesus. Written by a fellow named A.J. Gordon. And he's an, he was an American Baptist. I reckon he's every kind of brand of Baptist. You know, I know we've got Missionary Baptist and, and Wet Foot Baptist and Dry Foot Baptist and Primitive Baptist and Free Will Baptist and Southern Baptist. And, you know, so he was an American Baptist. And he wrote this in 1872. And this is just an excerpt in that book. And he says, he said this. No words of Scripture hold within themselves a deeper mystery than this simple formula of the Christian life in Christ. Yet great as is the mystery of these words, they are the key to the whole system of of doctrinal mysteries like the famous Rosetta Stone. Now, I'm not talking about the software. (laughs) 
itself a partial hieroglyph and thereby furnishing the long-sought clue to the Egyptian hieroglyphs, these words, by their very mystery, unlock all mysteries of the divine life, letting us into secrets that were hidden from ages and from generations. True, we may not find in them an answer to the question, how can these things be? But we shall see clearly that they can be. For through this, I like, I just love this verbiage. Through this, Emmanuel, not, K-N-O-T, not, of union. I mean, let that picture come into your imagination. In Christ, that Emmanuel, not, of union. As one has quaintly called it, those great facts of the Christian life, regeneration, justification, sanctification, and redemption are drawn up from the realm of the human and the impossible and made fast to him with whom all things are possible so that the question now becomes reversed and we must ask, how can it be otherwise? <laughs> 1872. Wow. Everybody say in Christ. We must understand the power of our identification with Christ. The death of Christ is the death of our old nature. If some of us want to carry Him around or her with us, you know, so we can pull them out when we need them. You know, like when somebody cuts you off in traffic. Wait a minute, I got, I got, you're like a trunk monkey, you know. I got somebody back here, let me get him out. The old man, let me get, well, hold it, let me stop and pull him out. So he will take care of this situation. He won't love you like Jesus would. No, think about it. The power of our identification with Christ. His resurrection was our resurrection. His ascension gives us legal access to this heavenly realm we were talking about a while ago. Gives us legal access to the kingdom. Gives us legal access to our inheritance. His glorification is our position as a New Testament believer. And in light of all of that, then we're confronted with this. That Jesus is returning for a spotless bride. The perfect one will return for the spotless one. And now all of a sudden, now you're, you're, uh, you don't feel spotless. Well, I mean, no perfection in the Christian life is not necessarily about flawlessness. There was one flawless one, and they crucified him. Right? Perfection in the Christian life is about fullness, and it's about fruitfulness. It's, it's about learning to step into all that Jesus made available to us through the cross. And what is that? In one word, it's our inheritance. I guess that's two words. But... And in a nutshell, you know, we sing those songs, you know, about Canaan's fair and happy land. I am on my way. Well, you know, Canaan's fair and happy land is not heaven. There are no wall cities in heaven. There are no giants in heaven. Canaan's fair and happy land is here. It's a type of our inheritance in Christ, all that He's made available to us. And so then, the Christian life summed up becomes about entering into our inheritance and sharing it. That's it. In a nutshell, that's the whole Christian life. Entering into our inheritance in Christ and sharing it with others, not hoarding it, because it's plenty. Amen? 
There's not a show, you know, Christian hoarders. There should be, the way some folk act, but no. No. Church hoarders. No. Sitting, we see. Well, what do we see? Go back there to the first chapter real fast. In the sixth verse, to the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He has made us accepted in the Beloved. We see, what do we see? We see that we've been accepted. Do you realize that, that where we would admit it or not, even the most brash and, I mean, the biggest John Wayne one amongst us, the deepest longing of the human soul is to be accepted. Some way, somehow, by somebody, somewhere, we don't want to be alone. I mean, the meanest, nastiest hermit you know wants somebody to accept him. Well, glory be to God, I find out in the, from, from the seat that I've been accepted in Christ. I've been accepted in the Beloved. Glory to God. You know, I, if I had a whiteboard up here like I do in class, I'd do a little acrostic for you. But I teach the students in pastoral care, you know, P-I-S-A. And I call it pizza. <laughs> little, little twist, little work on it. But, it, you, know, you know, we're not, we're not, anyway. Never want to spell and be. Uh, pizza. God, God, from the very beginning in the garden, first principles, He gave Adam and Eve a purpose. He, he, gave, them, he gave them an identity. He, he gave them security and acceptance. And any time we deal with people that's having issues, one of those four things is out of whack. And then what did Adam and Eve turn around and do? They tried to produce some, their own righteousness. They sewed fig leaves together. F-I-G-S. Fear, insecurity, guilt, which the best I could produce was shame. God offers pizza. Man offers figs. I don't know about you. But figs will tear you up. Pizza's good. Huh? They feed people figs in a nursing home. Right? I mean, we have peace at the Super Bowl party. I'm going to be on God's team. Right? Hallelujah. Verse 7. In whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. What do I see? I see I've been redeemed. I've been bought with the precious blood of Jesus. Number three, what do I see? Verse 11, I've obtained an inheritance. And then I get into the pages of this thing. Do you realize what this is? It's the Old and a New Testament. I have an inheritance. This is the will. Jesus is the executor of the estate. Thirteenth verse. End of the verse says, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Sealed. Well, that's something, I, you know, you can't hardly wrap your head around. But, you know, there's three covenant seals. Paul mentions the Holy Spirit seal at least twice in Ephesians. There's the seal of the Holy Spirit on the believer. There's the seal that's the circumcision of the heart. And there's the seal that's the blood of Jesus. Well, you, you and I can't see any of them. They're seen in the realm of the Spirit. God can see them. The angels that are supposed to be watching out for you can see them. Demons and evil spirits can see them. So I don't know about you, but I'm going to stay in Christ. So I can wear the seal. Come on. Uh, second chapter, 6th verse. We talked about it already. He's raised us up together, made us sit together, heavenly places with Christ. So I learned that, that I have a seat, I have authority. Like Pastor Mark talked about it a while ago briefly when he was uh, exhorting. Chapter 2, verse 10. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. What do I see over there? I see that, that, that God's made me, made me in His image. He's made me like Him. God's workmanship, His precious masterpiece. He don't make no junk. 
uh, 19th verse. Now, therefore, you are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and the household of God. I'm part of the family now. I'm a fellow citizen. I see that. Where do I find out that? In this sitting position, in this perspective, gaining where I gain this perspective. I'm going to have to hurry here to get all this done. Um, let's talk for just a little bit about walking. Look at uh, the fourth chapter with me. It just kind of leaps off the page when you run through it here. Uh, uh, as Paul begins to suddenly change the perspective, the lens that he's endeavoring to get the Christians to look through. Because this is a letter it's written to the Ephesian church, but what, what you need to understand, Paul founded that church at Ephesus, and it became a hub. And they planted churches out of there throughout that whole region. And so anything he sent there was sent with the express purpose of being circulated through that whole region. And so, so he's trying to get a big message to a bunch of people. And so he changes the, the focus here. Chapter 4, verse 1, I therefore the prisoner. See, we didn't mention that a while ago. Paul's writing this on, during his first Roman imprisonment. This happy man that's talking about being in Christ is in jail. I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you that you walk. If I say walk, walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. Verse, skip to verse 17. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you henceforth walk, everybody say walk, not as other Gentiles walk, in the vanity of their mind. Go to chapter 5, verse 2. And uh, uh, let's, let's start with verse 1. Be ye therefore followers. I mean, no, you, if you're going to follow somebody, you've got to walk. I mean, unless you don't do it sitting, unless you, I mean, unless you're driving. Anyway, <laughs> be ye therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk. Walk what? Walk how? Walk in love. Side note here. Notice he says, walk in love as Christ also hath loved us. The Bible never tells us to do something like love or forgive and then leave it to us to decide how to do it. It tells us how. Uh, notice uh, the eighth verse of that fifth chapter for we were sometimes darkness but now are ye light in the lord walk as children of the light notice the 15th verse see then that ye walk circumspectly not as fools but as wise all of a sudden paul's trying to communicate something different to round out the christian life Walk. Uh, uh, you could say it this way. Uh, walking, we witness and we work. We witness and we work. It's not about sitting anymore. We witness and we work. Walking brings in this little aspect to the Christian life that we all just dearly love process. I mean, we don't, any of us like process. I mean, if we want a diet, I mean, we just rather go, you know, get sucked and plucked and tucked. I mean, I noticed my younger brother here, first thing I noticed when I got out of the truck this morning, boy, you've lost a little weight. He said, yeah, I have. Been trying. I said, well, you need to stop losing it where I can find it. No, it's about process. And go back to our tree analogy. The walk, the Christian walk, this aspect of, of living this thing out, is where the vulnerability, where the integrity of our Christian life is exposed. And it's the place where fruitfulness comes out. Not just sitting somewhere singing kumbaya, strumming a guitar, and, you know. Come on. So, sitting is all about what God has done. Walking, and I'll hit it 
fast in a minute. Standing is all about what we're supposed to do in light of and empowered by what God has done. Can you see it already clearly? Walking and sitting are spiritual truths that are set in opposition to each other, yet they work uh, in their proper place uh, together, just like gravity and lift does. I mean, the Bible's full of this kind of paradoxical language. Paul uses a whole list of them when he describes life in the ministry. Jesus throws them out all the time. I mean, you know, he's talking about my peace I leave with you. Peace, you know, I give to you. Not as the world gives, I give unto you. Peace, blah, 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 blah. And then he's talking about, I don't come to bring peace but a sword. <laughs> well, which is it, Jesus? <laughs> you know. That's where we have to get in this thing because the life, this thing's lived out in the tension. Because how many of you know, here's one of the tensions. I mean, you know, we're constantly confronted with this in our Christian walk. We're constantly uh, we, we have the kingdom of God. We have our inheritance, both now and not yet. All the time. How many besides Brother Tony got some stuff you still believe in God for? It's just about that far out of your grasp of actually possessing. But it's yours. Tension. And so this walking business. Here's what I need to get over to you quickly. Truth misemphasized and misapplied, fast gives way to false doctrine. We can all think of a church or a group or somebody we know that their whole life's about sitting. Oh, well, you know, it's just all about me and Jesus and glory to God. And, you know, I drink, smoke dope and do what I want to. And, and Jesus loves me, this I know. Now, if you don't straighten up, you love mess around, bust hell wide open. That's what's going to happen to you. Huh? No, you've got to walk this thing out. Truth and tension. Seemed like the Lord just gave this to me the other day. Truth and tension with proper emphasis and application yields life and that more abundant. The revelation of our seating with Christ and of all that He accomplished for us through Calvary must result in a lifestyle that is consistent and congruent with what we see. Get all happy over here about what we saw, about who we are in Christ then we're supposed to live that out in reality. My righteous position must be accompanied by righteous actions. Amen? I mean, Jesus used the analogy of salt. And if you really dig in and slow down and quit being kumbaya Jesus, fluffy, Scruffy, you know, lovey-dovey Jesus. And pay attention to what he says about salt. He's using us as the analogy of salt. Be salt, be light. And if you've lost your savor, you're good for nothing. That's right. Jesus said, if you're not salty as a Christian, you're worthless. <laughs> hmm? Well, you're just not loving me. You're not loving me like Jesus, Jesus. Hmm? No, didn't say you wouldn't go to heaven, even, maybe. That as far as kingdom influence, as far as, as far as leading others to Christ and infecting the culture positively, as far as coming into inheritance and sharing it with others, you're worthless. I wouldn't even sprinkle you on a piece of meat. Put you on the dung heap.
here's the thing about walking. How many of you besides me has ever stumbled and fall? Huh? Well, the good news is we learned over there when we see we have access. I run the first one, one, nine, I get up. Lord, forgive me. I'm sorry. It's not over. Right? Come on. To see our position in Christ and turn and live in sin is either blind, foolish, dishonest, or all three. <laughs> Papa used to say, all chicken men are liars, all liars are chicken men. <laughs> so you can say all Christians who claim to be in Christ and live like a heathen or liars and all. Yeah, anyway. <laughs> oh, help us, Lord. Stand. <laughs> Go to chapter 6. In chapter 6, Paul transitions again, and it's almost like, you know, how many have ever been to the eye doctor? Besides me. You know, you get over 40 and everything starts coming apart. <laughs> but, you know, when they put that stuff up there, how about that? That's kind of what Paul's doing here with Ephesians, with our Christian, you know, the lens through which we're seeing this thing dialing different parts of it, you know, into focus, you know, what we what we can see. And so here in the sixth chapter, he changes the focus again. Is this helping anybody? I mean, it's all abroad. If not, I mean, I can go on home now. But uh, yeah, in the sixth chapter, you know, most of us, you know, know this pretty good. He starts talking here about the armor of God and, and his standing business. Notice verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. I'm glad he told me that and not my might because I'm not Mighty Mouse. Here I come to save the day. Number 11, verse 11. Put on, notice, put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle, not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. What is he talking about? Devils and demons and evil spirits of all kinds. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand. Notice you already said to stand. Now withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, notice, stand. I mean, you know, some folks come look at you and know, well, what do I do now? Keep doing what you're doing. <laughs> stand. Everybody, I mean, we always want something new. Verse 14, stand, therefore. Having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, your feet shod with preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, where we should, we should be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. Verse 17, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And so, if, if sitting, we see, I like to say it this way, standing, we seize Seize. We take. Seized. And if walking has to do with process, standing has to do with conquest. And and if if walking has to do with exposing the integrity and the fruitfulness of our Christian life, standing has something to do with the durability. Of our Christian life. How many know folks. When you take it on the chin. About the third round. They throw in the towel. On God and country. (laughs) Huh? Paul says no. You need to stand. How am I doing this Paul? 
power of his might. Well, how did I learn about that? Over there in the seat. What did I walk out? What I learned over there in the seat. What, what am I standing in? What I learned in the seat and proved out in my walk. See, all you can't throw out any part of this. And we can't get stuck in any part of this. You with me? Uh, and I'm going to say this to you. If you think the Christian life doesn't involve warfare or struggle, you are naive. We possess the best now. But I don't know if, if nobody's told you yet, this ain't heaven. You better put them up. Or the devil's going to knock your block off. Hmm? So get them up. And on the other hand, if I say balance, if you think that struggle and warfare is the focus of the Christian life, you are misinformed. And you have not seen properly yet. You need to go back to the seat. Amen? It's all about perspective. We don't fight to victory. We fight from victory, don't we? Hmm? The devil is a rebel holder of, of, of stuff that's mine. I mean, what you going to do if you, you get back home today after church and somebody's sitting at your table eating, eating food out of your refrigerator? Huh? You just go, oh, I'm sorry. Did I disturb you? Huh? No. You're going to run them up out of there. Because you know. It's mine. See, our, we need to keep this perspective. Our position is far above. See, walk stand. Our position is far above. Our walk, then, is to be consistent. Right? And our standing is to be sure. The focus of the fight is on what Christ has done, not on what I, what I must do. There's some doing for me to do, but that's not the focus. Because He's already won the war, what I do is stand and possess the land. Because our enemy is a defeated rebel holder of territory that doesn't belong to him. It's a good fight of faith. And what's a good fight? A good fight is when I win. What about you? <laughs> right? You know, and it must be said about the armor. But an improper focus or emphasis on any of these three positions that we've talked about this morning gets us into weird doctrine and experience. Because I mean, right now, I mean, you don't have to think hard. I mean, over the years and through church history, and none of it's ever new. It just gets repeated with a new label on it. It's either all about, you know, uh, grace and everything's wonderful and it's all about what Jesus did and, and I don't have to do anything. Or it's all about, you know, clothesline religion, you know. Huh? Or we're yelling and screaming at the devil and casting demons out of everything. Puking up in garbage cans. And, huh? Let's get it right, guys. I mean, everybody say focus. That really becomes the issue. Back to the analogy of the doctor, the eye doctor. What Paul's doing here, trying to dial us into focus with a balanced perspective of the Christian life so we can really be the glorious church. Sitting, I'm going to reiterate it to you, 
Maybe a little different. I'll say it this way. Sitting is all about our liberty. Our liberty. Walking is all about consistency and responsibility. How many of you know even in the natural, we're all up in arms about our liberty. And ain't nobody lining up for their responsibility. But if we, not, if, if we don't take our responsibilities seriously, how many of you know we'll lose our liberties? Standing has to do with victory. Victory. And here's the thing. The reason Paul needs to remind us of this is because it's easy to lose focus. It's easy to lose focus in the grind of process and walking stuff out. My God, is it ever going to... And it's easy to lose focus in the fight. I mean, when you've had your bell rung about the third time and you punch drunk, you know... I need somebody to remind me what my name is. Huh? Somebody help me remind me I'm in Christ. Right? So Paul does that here. And we'll talk about it tonight and kind of zero in on it, but I'll say this to you because this is why this is so important that Paul deals with these issues. We possess the promises of God three ways. Number one is inheritance. And that corresponds with the sitting issue, the seat. Corresponds with rest. But how many know these things we possess of the promises of God that also, number two, are done by process? They're walked out. The walking corresponds with the walking, corresponds with working. How many of folks ain't lining up for that? We're lining up for a check. Hmm? We're not usually lining up for work. And then number three, we possess the promises of God. How many of sometimes, if you be honest, you know this is true, it's, we possess them by conquest. Standing, it corresponds with. There's some fight involved. And so, sit, walk, stand. If you look at Ephesians, Paul spends three chapters on sitting. Two chapters on walking. And actually less than one chapter on standing. That tells me something about the emphasis. If we can get that emphasis right, I think we'll be okay. Amen. Everybody here with me. Father, I want to thank you for the word that you placed upon my heart to deposit in these people today. Father, I trust that it's found a lodging place in the hearts of the hearers. We'll go forth and be doers, not just hearers only. In Jesus' name, amen.